So we've been studying through uh, the book of Ezra up to this point because our Sunday evening theme is about encouraging our hearts to rebuild, to renew, and to restore the work uh, that God has given us to do. And we saw last week in Ezra chapter 4 that the work comes to a stop. There is a major rise of resistance that happens. And so the work on the the temple now just completely shuts down. They had the the foundation laid. Uh, But then with the opposition, the problems that are going on, they stop doing the work. Uh, Ezra chapter 5 and verse 1 says Haggai and Zechariah now come on the scene and they begin to prophesy. But Ezra 5 doesn't tell you what they said. It just says they're there. And then it tells you what happened after that. And I wanted for us to be able to have a chance to stop in Ezra and go, well, let's look at what they were saying. Let's see what they were telling the people because it clearly was an encouraging message to them because of how the rest of the book of Ezra and Nehemiah plays out. So we're going to just for three weeks, including tonight, three lessons from the book of Haggai, and we're going to look at what the prophet was saying. I want to do Zechariah with you as well, but that will be down the road, Lord willing, later this year. We'll get to look at some of those amazing visions and get to talk about some of this, the amazing things that are being said there. But we'll kick that can down the road a little bit and we'll just for three lessons look at Haggai and then we'll make our way back to the book of Ezra. And in tonight's lesson, the, the message I think is, is rather simple as uh, I called this lesson, Consider Your Ways, chapter 1 verse 5 of Haggai as well as chapter 1 verse 7 uh, of Haggai say, consider your ways or to think carefully about your actions. And Really, the big message of this chapter, this first prophecy that Haggai utters to the people is very simple. He's just going to tell them, I want you to think about where you are in life right now and how you got there. That's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about where you are in life and how you got there. And so that's what we're going to look at tonight is, well, why does God want us to do that? Why does he want these people to do that? Why is that in such an important moment to take a stop in your life, evaluate, consider your ways, look at where you are in your life, and consider how you got there? So that's what we're going to look at as Haggai opens his prophecy. You'll notice in Haggai 1 and verse 1, we're told it's the second year of King Darius in the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. I want you to notice what the problem is right out of the gate, is that Haggai says, here's apparently what the people have been saying while the work has been stopped. A very simple idea. It's not the right time for us to do the work. The time hasn't come for us to return and to finish working on God's house. Now, I want to remind you that it wasn't just simply, you know, hey, we don't feel like it. We saw in Ezra chapter 4, there is resistance. There are opponents there. There are people who are discouraging them for the work. There are people that are even getting the officials involved and bribing officials 
in getting them to try to stop them from doing the work on the temple. And so you have a resistance that is occurring for the people. And the people now are saying to one another, you know, it's just not the right time for us to do this work. Let me also remind you that the people who are here in Haggai's day are the people that we would think are the spiritual heroes. They have left Babylon. They have left their homes. They've left their jobs. They've left what they've known and have come back to Jerusalem to build this temple. They're the courageous ones who have made the journey, made the sacrifice and made the effort and are in Jerusalem and have accomplished the foundation and have finished it. And yet we're at a moment now where they're saying, you know, it's not the right time to do the work. I want you to notice they're not saying we're not going to do the work. They're saying right now is not a good time. Right now is not the time for us to finish this. We will do it later. And I want you to notice then what God says about that. Here, here's what God says. Notice verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Here's God's question. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruins? I find it fascinating that God then just simply poses a question. God doesn't come in with a big message right out of the gate. He just says, I want you to think about something. Is it the right time for you to be living in your houses, which are completed and done and set and paneled and everything is set to go? And yet then still say, it's not time to build the Lord's house. Is it good that you have your houses complete and yet God's house remains undone? And I think that's an interesting perspective because I think that we could have the insight that the people have become complacent, that they have their houses, they've become settled in the Jerusalem area, life is going on just fine, and so they're going about their day-to-day business. They're going about their work, going about their lives, taking on with their families and doing the various day-to-day schedules and activities. And God is simply coming in and asking a question, is that the right priority? And I think that everyone who would have heard that question would have said, no, it's not right that I'm carrying on with my priorities and my life and my ways, and I'm neglecting God's ways and God's work and God's priorities. And that's the way God just simply poses it. He just asks, do you think that's a good idea that you put your life priorities first and let God's priorities sit over here on the sideline? Is that a good idea? Just ask that question. Just lets it rest on the people. What do you think? Do you think you should be all about your things while God's work still sits there waiting? I think one of the things that is fascinating to me about this, and it is true in general about spirituality, about following God, about serving God, is that God has an amazing ability to just sit there quietly waiting to see if anybody's going to put him first. 
You know, you think about the things that clamor in our lives, that make the most noise, that become the most pressing, and that really become a priority, are usually the physical things in life. All these things I've got to do, and here's all my schedule, and here's my hubbub, and I've got this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And you will notice in all of that list, you never have God's things screaming. It's always job and family and career and stuff and this and that and problems and all. <laughs> and it's never God. In fact, I want you to consider how God quietly sits waiting to see if anybody is going to pay attention to him. This message doesn't come one month later or six months later or a year after they've stopped. Sixteen years. The foundation has sat there. Sixteen years. God hasn't said a word. God's just sitting there watching, just quietly waiting to see. Is anybody interested in doing my work? Is anyone interested in carrying out my priorities? Or will the people continue to carry out their work and their priorities? I find it amazing that that is such a picture that God gives to us about watching our priorities and how The most important things in life, God's things, spiritual things, always are so quiet. And the things that have absolutely zero spiritual eternal value are the things that yell at us the loudest. It's a great message that came out of Luke's gospel. You might remember Mary and Martha. Where you have Martha, who is running around, trying to prepare, have everything ready because Jesus and the disciples are in the house. And finally, she kind of breaks and says, you need to get my, tell my sister to get in here and help me. And that is such an obvious picture of what life looks like. Is that we become so concerned with our things and our house and our schedules and our stuff that we fail to see we have Jesus right here. And the priority that needs to be given to him. And so I want you to notice how God essentially is going to now wake them up. As you get asked this question, do you think these are right priorities that you would live your life this way? That you would just say, oh, you'll get back to me later. That No, you haven't rejected me, but I'm not your priority. You just to keep putting it off and putting it off. So here's God's response to this. Notice verse 5. <clears throat> Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages, only to have them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you have brought home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains in ruins while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and on the mountains, on the grain and the new wine, 
and the olive oil and everything else the ground produces on people and livestock and all the labor of your hands. So I want you to notice the awakening that he gives here. He says, you have put all of your effort into the physical. He gives a description of those things where he says, you planted much. And you eat and drink and make wages and put on clothes. You put all of your effort into those things and you expected there to be much. But he says it turned out to be little. You put all of that work, all of that time, all of that effort. You're planting and you're you're making money and, and you've got your clothes and you have your drink and you have your stuff. And he says, but then somehow at the end of the day... You don't seem to be filled and satisfied afterward. You're going and going and going, but you don't really have anything to show for it. And God says, I want you to think about that for a minute. I want you to think about why you put so much effort into that and didn't find the filling and the satisfying outcome that you thought you would get. And I want you to notice what he says. He says, look at verse 9. He says, what you brought home, I blew it away. (laughs) Here you are going after life and you're trying to get it all and you're worried about your house and your stuff and your wages and your clothes and your things. And he says, you want to know why that's not satisfying? You want to know why you had nothing to show for it at the end? He says, I blew it away. (laughs) You thought that was going to be all satisfying and God says, I didn't let it be that. I didn't let you accumulate what you thought you would. I didn't let you get out of that what you thought you would get out of it. It's as if God is saying, you keep putting yourself first. How is that working for you in life? That's what God's doing right here. You're worried about your house and you're worried about your things and you're worried about your life and your priorities. How is that working for you? How is that going for you? Because God says, I'm actively resisting that. You will notice in verse 10, he says, because of you, the heavens have withheld the dew on the earth and on the crops. I think that's such an interesting way to put that. Because of your priorities and your decision, this is why the outcome is the way that it is. And then notice it in verse 11, because It's easy to look at this and not follow through everything that God says. You read verse 11 and it says, I called for a drought on the fields and on the mounts of the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else that the ground produces. think, okay, very covenantal. Sounds like Deuteronomy. If you don't follow me, I'm going to curse the ground and it's not going to yield its its fruit and, and, and return to you like it ought to. Absolutely part of the picture. But notice that God did not stop with the period there. He says, yes, I put a drought on your economy, if you will, your fields, your grain, your wine, your olive oil. But watch the rest of what else he put a drought on. On people, on the livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. (laughs) I made it. So that everything you did, you didn't get back out of it. (laughs) 
So it's not just simply covenantal, oh, God withheld rains and God withheld grains. But he says, I even did that to your animals. And I even did it on the labor of your hands. I think that's such an important principle that God has been trying to teach us over and over again in the scriptures that you can work as hard as you want for something, but God can make absolutely nothing come out of that. Or to say it another way, the only reason you have is because God has given it to you. Now, you can work and work and work, and God says, I can make nothing come out of that. You can just spin away thinking that's going to get you somewhere in life, and I can make it where it doesn't. And by the same token, the realization that the only reason that there is any success, that there is any blessing, that there is any outcome, that we have any kind of wealth or blessing or material outcome whatsoever is because God gave it. In fact, you might remember Job's very words that indicated that, that he understood that. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. He understood that principle. The reason that he was the most prosperous man in all of the East, according to chapter one, the very opening verses, is because God had gave it to him. And the only reason he didn't have it anymore was because God took it from him. This is what God is trying to accomplish here through Haggai and saying, you're putting your focus on this world, thinking that that's going to be the answer to success. And it's going to be all satisfying. And it's going to give you everything you're looking for. And you're not understanding that God is the one behind that. That God is the one who is underneath that. And it's only because of him that you have any kind of outcome And it's only through him that you have any kind of satisfaction from the fruit of your labor. And so he gives them that picture here as he tries to awaken them. And I think that is such an important picture for us to consider. We live in a time right now where so many people feel demoralized, discouraged, depressed, and empty. And I believe God's message would be, consider your ways. You're putting all of your priority into yourself. How is it going for you? How is it paying out for you? When we work so hard for this world and work so hard for the possessions of this world and try to accumulate and advance in this world and still have an emptiness, consider your ways. And you might remember I talked about Ecclesiastes where I did a lesson that I said, God made the world that way so that you would look beyond the present to the one who is behind it, to the God in heaven who has made the world to be the hamster wheel, like chasing the wind, vanity of vanities. God made it that way. So as we pursue and chase and run, God is saying, consider your ways. And he wants them to stop and just consider. Think about where you are and how you got here. He says, you've neglected me. You've spent all of your time on yourself. And look at where you are with that. Look at how it's been going for you. And so with that picture, God then wants them to refocus. Consider your ways and refocus. You go back to verse 9. 
He says, you expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty. Here's the refocus. Because my house remains in ruins while each of you is busy with your own house. So interesting that he says, here's the reason why it's not going well for you. You're not busy with God's work. You're busy with your own work. You're not considering God's priorities or God's ways or God's work. All that you are concerned about is your life, your comfort, your ways, your ease, your things. And God is asking them to be focused on God, to be busy with God's things. And it is so easy for us to become so busy with our lives, our schedules, that we can neglect the work of God. And that's the picture that I see God giving here is asking them to refocus and saying, the reason why there's emptiness is because God is not what's centered to your life. God is not the standard. God is not the priority. Rather, it's your own ways and your own work and your own life that you are concerned about. And so I want you to see that he is calling for them to have a new priority. And he describes the new priority to them in verse eight. He says, go up to the mountains and bring down timber and build my house. Now notice it so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored or glorified. What's the new priority The new priority is not my pleasure and my glory. The new priority is God's pleasure and God's glory. And if you think about that for a minute, you might recall that Jesus walked around saying that's what his whole life was about. His whole life was not about himself, but about God's honor, God's glory, and God's pleasure. Remember, he said words like this in John chapter 8 and verse 29 when he said, And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. What a statement. Life goal. Here's how I make my decisions. Here's my priority. Not what I want to do, not what pleases me, but I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And we're supposed to be walking in his footsteps. We're supposed to be modeling his, his, his very paths. And that's the picture that we see of our saviors, that he lived his life so that God was honored, so that God could say, I am well pleased with him because he was the priority. You might remember also you have Jesus as he speaks about what is about to happen. And he says, Father, glorify me, please. And make sure everybody, no. Father, glorify your name. This needs to be all about God. It needs to always be about his work, about his priority, about what matters most to him. What God is saying through Haggai to these people is that they're not working on the temple, not really because it's hard and, you know, there's resistance out there and it's tough. We're going to see the people are going to go against the resistance. No, the problem was ultimately they had the wrong priority. They were concerned about their stuff 
rather than God's ways. The beautiful thing is you will notice in verse 12 that the work restarts. Verse 12 says that Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest, the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord, their God had sent them and the people feared the Lord. You have to love that the people hear this message and they go, we need to get back to work. We've allowed it to drop for 16 years. 16 years have passed by. All of that time has been lost. We need to get back to work. We need to put God back into focus. We need to make him the priority. We need to be about his business and not our own business. You know, you might even remember Jesus saying that. (laughs) Young Jesus, teenager Jesus, can't find, parents can't find Jesus. Well, where else do you think I would be but carrying out the father's business? It's all about the father's business. It's always been the priority. And the people now understand that it is about God's priority. And you will notice that God now has a message through Haggai in verse 13 to encourage the work that says, I'm with you. I'm with you in the work. And that had to be encouraging because there is resistance. There are opponents. There is problems in trying to do this work. But God says, you don't need to worry about that resistance because I'm with you and you will accomplish the work that is to be done. And so verses 13 through 15 conclude with the work then being stirred up and they get to work to begin the process of finishing the temple. I want to just take a couple of points here just to round this out. That there can be such a great temptation on our part to tell God and to tell his work and to tell that his priority, it can wait. Let God wait until I get all my ducks in a row. This is kind of one of those things I wish I had a dollar as a preacher for every time I've heard that. You know, God, I'll, I'll deal with God's things and God's priorities after I get this over here dealt with. Let me get my things in order. And then I'll be there for God. And you want to know what happens? Not a single person who's ever told me has ever had that happen. Never. Because your life ain't ever going to get in order. And one of the reasons it's never going to get in order that way is because it only can get in order if God's the priority. It just can't. You can try all you want to. I like using the illustration of like buttoning up a shirt. You get the first button wrong, you can try all you want to to just keep on going. But you're going to look silly trying to make it work. You get the first thing wrong, you are out of whack. God's that first thing. He's got to be the first button. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. And that's what Haggai is trying to communicate to the people. Friends, we cannot deal with God eventually. We deal with God now. That his priority needs to be our priority. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what it means to take up the cross and follow him. That's what it means to say our life is hidden with him. That's what it means to say that we're going to go with him no matter where he goes. We're saying that is that it's no longer about me and my priority and my desires and my will. It is God's priority and I will make his priority my priority. And I will submit to you. That God can sometimes be showing us that we need to turn back to him because we are experiencing such emptiness in our lives. 
that that void you feel, that that emptiness you encounter, that that hole that's in you is the hole that is put there by God so that you would seek him. And we have a fine time trying to throw everything we can into that hole to see if that'll satisfy. And God's just saying, you can keep trying, but consider your ways. It's not going to help you. It is only going to increase the emptiness. And we unfortunately can hold ourselves back from lasting joy and true satisfaction because we don't consider our ways, we don't refocus our lives, and we don't restart the work that God has us to do. And so that was the message that Haggai gave to these people. It's a simple question. And a question I would like for you to ask yourself. Is it time for us to be living in our paneled houses while the work of the Lord remains desolate? Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, this is certainly a great temptation that we face. And Lord, we so easily allow our our concerns and our priorities, our schedules, and the things that we see as important in this world to crowd you out and to cause us to forget that you should be the number one priority in our lives. And God, I pray that we would always ask ourselves each day how it is going for us, where we are, and how we got here. And Lord, that you would prick our hearts when we ask ourselves that. That we would see whether we do have you as our priority or whether it's our own house and our own ways. That's our priority. And God, forgive us for how often we've made our desires and our house and our work our priority rather than you. Forgive us for how often we do not show that we want you above all else that we are not willing to sacrifice and forfeit anything for you and that we can be unwilling to do the work that you have before us Lord strengthen our hands and strengthen our faith and propel us forward to the work that you have for us to do here as a congregation in this area and for the work that you have put before each and every one of us as followers of you. Help us to see the opportunities we have and help us to do the work that we can do in this great, wonderful kingdom that you have given to us through your son. And we pray this through your son and our savior, Jesus. And amen. We're going to sing an invitation song and we invite you to consider your ways. And to think about where you are with God. And to hear the invitation that the life of emptiness and the lack of satisfaction is God calling for you to seek it in him. That he is the true giver of life. He is the true giver of all that you need in this world. If you would come to him with all of your heart and follow him faithfully. So as we sing this song, and I will make mention, we're doing the chorus at the end of the verses. So. If you're down in your book, you need to know that. (laughs) And if we can help you in any way, won't you come while we stand and while we sing?